The Art of Leadership Network. I, I think like Gen Z has, um, you know, I think they grew up in this this model of church that was like, you know, when I was in high school, it was it was like, hey, you got this text that was like, hey, there's going to be uh, a bouncy house. There's going to be free pizza. There's going to be a cool speaker. And and that was kind of youth group. You, you know? don't want to miss it. Yeah, totally. Over and yeah. over and over again. And and I think like we're just not, we're not impressed with that. We're not concerned with the, with the flashy thing. I think, um, again, we, you know, we see in culture this like, this desire to really give our lives for something. And, and I think, you know, what we're seeing again in this, in this remnant that is rising up is there is, there is a, a, a remnant that is rising up among the next generation that actually wants God. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, and hey, happy 2024. Man, I'm so glad you joined us today. We are kicking off a brand new year here on the podcast, doing it in style. With J.P. Pakluda and Gabriel McCullough, we are talking church trends, not only in this episode, but all month long. Man, I hope you had a great holiday, wonderful Christmas time, happy new year, and man, you came to the right place if you're trying to get an edge on what's changing in the culture, because we're doing something different this year. We are actually going to do the entire month of January on trends. We're going to kick off this episode by looking at the seven church trends I've identified for 2024. And then throughout the month, well, we're going to be talking to different leaders and dissecting them bit by bit. Today's episode is brought to you by Belay and by Generis. You don't have to do it all alone to be a good leader. Belay is offering listeners their ebook, Delegate to Elevate, for free. Just text CARRY to 55123 to get your copy. And by Generis. Generis knows that while many churches take a one-size-fits-all approach to giving, it doesn't really work that way. So they've developed free tools to help you. Go to generis.com slash carry to learn more. Well, I'm very excited about this. You know, back, I think in 2016, I did my first ever Church Trends post, and it always lived on my website. And it's done really well every year. We help a lot of church leaders, creates a lot of conversation in a lot of local churches, but also in the wider church. And then we were sitting around last year and said, you know what, we never talk about this on the podcast, really. So that's what we're doing this year. You can go to my website. You can click the link in the description of this episode, wherever you're listening, and you can get free access to my 2024 Church Trends post. I outlined seven that we will talk about in this episode. There's also a free team guide. But I sat down with J.P. Pakluda and Gabriel McCullough, and we analyze every single one of them. And I want to get their take. I don't have a monopoly on wisdom, and I want to talk to other leaders who are in the trenches. So we talk about the number one church trend of 2024 that I identified, why the stable church is disappearing, how to engage the new core of your church, which is really millennials and Gen Z, and the new breed of megachurch pastor, something I'm really interested in and tested out with a few friends. And so, hey, if you're new to my church trends, welcome. If you're new to the podcast, uh, welcome. We hope you'll subscribe. There is a lot more coming up. I'm also going to talk to David Kinneman, Ryan Burge, Brady Shearer, and John Mark Comer about trends in each of their areas. But hey, let's dive into today's episode. J.P. Pakluda is the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. He was formerly the pastor of The Porch in Dallas, which grew to be the largest weekly young adult gathering of its kind 
in the nation. And Gabriel McCullough is a 22-year-old Bible teacher and is on a mission with a local body at Harris Creek Baptist Church. She is the author of a teen girl's Bible study called Wake Up. Her greatest passion is for her generation, and she is quickly gaining steam as a noted communicator, just 22 years old. I wanted to get the next gen's take on church trends too. So very excited you're in on this episode. Happy that we're doing this. Let me know what you think. Send me some notes at carry at carrynewhoff.com or leave a comment uh, on this podcast, particularly if you're listening in Spotify. Let us know how it goes. Hey, it's New Year's. You know, you did not get into ministry to spend your days in the weeds managing day-to-day operations It's time to delegate. And for over a decade, Belay has helped overwhelmed pastors focus on what matters most and delegate the rest to U.S.-based assistants and accounting specialists. You can find the support you need with Belay. So to get started, Belay is offering listeners their ebook, Delegate to Elevate, for free. In this ebook, you'll learn practical tools to help you take back your time and empower those around you through delegation to get your free copy text my name, Carrie, to 55123. That's C-A-R-E-Y to 55123. And let's talk about giving. You know, Generis understands that a lot of churches take a one-size-fits-all approach to giving, but there are actually several stages of giving that most givers go through. And it's essential to recognize each giver's unique phases. For example, an approach to a mature giver is really different than the approach you should take to a first-time giver. So if you want to start tailoring your message, the Generosity Strategist team at Generis wants to help you. They've got some free tools for use. You can schedule an introductory coaching call. And to do that, you can just visit generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry. I'll tell you, Generis understands giving. You want to connect with them to kick off 2024 right. Well, with all that said, here is the very first time we brought church trends this way onto the podcast. My conversation about my seven church trends that I've identified for this year with J.P. Pocluta and Gabriel McCullough. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Well, it's good to be with you both today. JP, you are a veteran on this podcast. Yeah, great man, to have so you great. back. So Kicking off back. 2024. And uh, a brand new guest, actually. Uh, yes. We have, yeah. So Bree, good to have you. Welcome. So good to be here. Such an honor. Well, we haven't done this before. And, you know, I kind of talked about it in the intro where we're doing the Church Trends episode. But JP, I reached out to you and then tell us the story of how you and Bree met because you have the privilege of working together for a tiny bit longer. (laughs) A tiny bit longer. Yeah. (laughs) So 2020, it was, um, we were, I was on a compassion tour with Annie F. Downs. Yeah. And we were on a tour bus going place to place. I think it was the last uh, physical tour Compassion did before the global shutdown, the pandemic. And we stopped in uh, Indiana and we would bring up guests at every location. And so this young woman came on stage. She was 18 years old and she had her Bible. She always has her Bible. It's in her, <laughs> in her lap right now. And I mean, she was preaching and I mean, just like entire sections of scripture from memory. And I, what immediately what I thought is I was like, who are her parents? Cause you know, just as a, as a parent, I'm like, I want to know what they did. And so I, we walked off stage. I went in the green room and I met her mama and I was like, what? Okay. Wow. Mm. And what did you guys do? And if you ever, you know, if you want to be equipped, if, if you ever want to come on a church staff, like, you know, come to Waco 
And so, yeah, she's been here. We got, I had the the privilege of being a part of her wedding yeah. a year and a half ago. And she is now with child and, and um, yeah, it's just, a, it, it's amazing. She's going to be a mom. But it, it here's what I say, Carrie, is it's interesting because most people at Harris Creek, you know, she serves and focuses on the college ministry, but she is, you know, she's speaking to crowds much bigger than I on the regular too, and has written a book and just lots going on in her world. Hmm. All at barely 20. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a gift. It's yeah. a gift to see what God's been doing. And, yeah. and it's been like the greatest honor to get to learn from JP as my pastor and, and boss and all the things. So it's been a blessing. Super yeah. Fun. And uh, you are about to, well, by the time this airs, hopefully you are holding your baby in your arms and a mom yes. for a couple no. of months, all that stuff. Which is, <laughs> totally. Such a gift. Which is great. Well, I wanted to have a next gen leader on board. So mm. I was texting a few friends and your name came up. It's like, there's only one and you happen to be on the team with JP. So I'm like, oh, hey, this is even better. So anyway, good to have you both here. Uh, I do want to talk about church trends. So this is something I do every year and I want to go through them quickly. And this can be a, an agree, disagree thing. Like you don't, we can just have an open, honest conversation, but I'm going to be boring and read through the seven trends, okay? The stable church has become an endangered species. That's trend number one. Number two, millennials are the new core of your church. Maybe I have to revise that, Gen Z. I mean, maybe it's Gen Z. I don't know, <laughs> I'll Bri. fight for them. <laughs> You'll fight for them. Uh, discipleship is going digital. We can talk about that. JP, really interested in your take on that. Yeah, uh, I got it. Gen Z will start to reshape the church. There you are, Bree. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Partisan, trend number five, partisan extremism will continue to fuel short-term growth, but not long-term growth. Uh, this is an election year. Interesting. Number six, the thing that makes everybody yawn, AI adoption will become normative in growing churches. And then finally, number seven, a new kind of megachurch pastor will continue to emerge. So those are the trends. There are a lot of other competing ideas. It doesn't mean we have to stick entirely to that script. So let me open it up wide. I mean, how long have you been at Harris Creek now, JP? Yeah, we moved five years ago. Yeah. And so, yeah, five years ago, almost to the date as this comes out, um, it was January uh 2018. Yeah. And um, so, you know, got here enough, long enough to be, to meet everyone. And then, uh, and then we shut down for a little while and just had the right. greatest leadership challenge I've ever faced as, no as well as, as everyone else. 2018 or 2019? 2019. 2019. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, it was right at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Yeah. Wow. So you literally had a year. And then how long yeah. have you been in uh, Waco, Bree? So yeah, I moved to Waco in August of, of 2021. So right. a little over a little over two years. Yeah. So you were literally 20. That's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So um, you've had explosive growth at Harris Creek. What have you noticed like at when you think about your own internal trends? What are you seeing? And then we will jump forward to some of the bigger trends. Yeah, so let me just define that. We had two campuses when when I moved. One was downtown as a satellite streaming campus, and then one was uh, here, what we would call the main campus, the building and whatnot. That was in a rented uh, movie theater. And uh, it was really the story of two churches. And so mm -hmm. we um, we shut down the, the downtown campus to bring all of the employees under one roof because I needed to get to know them because I'm moving from another city. And uh, we we had space here because they had just they had opened a building without a, a pastor, 
And so we kind of brought everyone under one roof. The first time I taught out here, there were 425 people that Sunday. Uh, two to three Sundays later, there were 2,500 people. And so that's, mm. so, so some of like, right, it, it's not that 2,000 people converted to Christianity in three weeks. And so, so I, I just said, hey, if you're here from another church, you know, because this, because this is just the new kind of flash in the pan, like, oh, there's a new guy in town. Let's go. It's like, I just, like, I just want to kindly and respectfully ask you to go back. Yeah. Uh, we, that's, that's not how we desire to grow. You know, you, there's, there's a spirit here of people kind of church hop and shop all the time. Yeah. you got the buffet of, of Baptist churches in Waco. And so it's just like, Hey, we're, we're really trying to grow disciples. I want to grow an army, not an audience. Mm -hmm. And so we had to say that I said that so much early on that the elders, you know, we met and they asked me, they're like, Hey, you're coming on a little strong. I mean, like there are people who are, you know, they're, they're moving for good reasons. And, you know, we, we had to talk through that and, and wrestle through that. But you know, that the first trend, and I don't know if you want to jump in, just the, like the stable church. I'm wondering as I read that, I'm like, is that where we're at? Because we are at capacity. Um, we've mm. kind of determined three services. That's our, that's the max we want to do, or, or you'll feel led to do prayerfully. And, and so we're, we're there, like the, the three services, we're full, we're kind of we're, we're running our numbers. And so then we've got to think through, hey, do we want to build? What do we want to do? But we can't really grow at yeah. this point except for online. And then we're wrestling like everyone else. Is that okay? And, and asking all of those questions. Really? Interesting. Any take on the growth before we dive into the stable churches disappearing, Bree? You're saying specifically with Harris Creek? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, even as I hear you talking, JP, I think, like, I think the thing that that JP will be known for in our community, in our, in our church is really just the way that he has led out in, in building a culture of authenticity. Like when I look at our college students that are attracted to Harris Creek, I think the reason why they are coming is he has led out in, in a leadership of, Hey, we're going to confess sin. We're going to say all the things we're going to live authentically on mission with one another. And I think for young people, they, they're like, they're sick of the the facade. They're sick of the, the cool church, the bouncy houses, you know, that they kind of grew up in, in, in youth group. And so I think they just, they want the real thing. And, and I, I think by, you know, God's grace and, and his sovereignty, through JP's leadership in a lot of ways, uh, they've seen that, um, that authentic community and, and it's, it's made them want to follow Jesus. And so I think from a, a college ministry standpoint and, and what we're seeing with young people, I think they're attracted to that and they're hungry for the, for the real thing. Hmm. Yeah. So let's jump into the trend. Um, what the argument is, and I'm basing this on statistics, we have a blog version too that we'll link to uh, in the show notes for this episode. So if you want more and a different take, you can go to uh, my website where there's a full article on this. But what we're seeing is, um, you know, a lot, I think 10 years ago, a lot of churches, and yours would be atypical. I mean, when you were at the porch, it grew to the largest young adult ministry in America. You get to Harris Creek, it explodes literally overnight. But yeah. there were a lot of churches of 200, 300, 400, 500 who had had a season back in the day, and then they were just kind of stuck. They were stable. And so, well, we've been 400 for the last five years or decade or whatever. And the evidence is now showing 
that that is a tiny splinter, like a, almost almost single digit, 12%, right? Uh, so only 12% of churches really either have momentum or you don't. And despite mm-hmm. the cap, I would say you guys still have momentum. I mean, you haven't been stuck there for six years. I mean, you had to lead through COVID. You went through all the ups and downs as everybody. Um, but that idea that you could just have a nice, stable, polite church of 300 people, and I would steward it for five to seven years, and then it goes on to the next pastor. And maybe it dips a little bit or grows a little bit, but there's no momentum. Seems to be disappearing. You're either growing or dying is the bottom line. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers show that that's true. And so yeah. uh, um, there's a there's an attractional spirit. I mean, I'm, I ask why. Like, you know, it's like, why? Like, what would you say... You think, hey, the the porch grew. Um, this is a very provocative question, <laughs> but but I mean, you're like the one of the. I mean, truly, like I've I've followed. It's 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 fun to be on the show, and I follow you, and you're the one of the greatest thinkers on Church of Our Day. I mean, sincere. There's no flattery there. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah. What what do you you hear? The porch grows to the largest young adult ministry in the country, and then you know Harris Creek grows uh, rapidly. Why? Like, why would you say that that is? I mean, there is, a, a, you know, as the French would say, je ne sais quoi, and I don't know to that. There is a sovereignty of God yeah. or the mystery of God's spirit. Yeah. But I'm also one not to over-spiritualize things that shouldn't be over-spiritualized, if that yeah. makes sense. So to yeah. answer your question, I don't see it as provocative. I think, JP, you know, you have in your teaching, and you've taught with partners too, exactly what you said, authentic confessional, uh, real, raw, there's no veneer. I mean, yeah, your band is good and you have proper lights and proper AVL so people in the room can hear you. Uh, But there's a lot of churches that just don't have a authentic message or maybe we're playing versions of the imitation game. Well, I really like JP, so I'm going to be JP. That would be an interesting question, you know, from a preaching standpoint, Do you find yourself, because I have to watch this in my own style, is I will often end up imitating people I'm following or admiring. And my wife used to call me out on that all the time. (laughs) I've gotten better at it over the years, but it's like, oh, I want to be the next, you know. Mm. Was that a temptation for you ever, JP? I'm an auditory learner. And so rather, you know, I'll I'll read commentaries, but I'll I'll also listen to pastors, preachers take... um, uh, I'll, I'll listen to their takes, their sermons on specific passages. And if I listen to the one person over and over, I will start to sound like them, grab onto their totally. mannerisms. And it's the same way that an accent works, I imagine, is you're just like you're learning a dialect. And so I think that is, is um, you know, something that we have to be cautious about. But as I like think about that that question for myself, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, is it is it that simple? Is it like, you, you know, because can you teach authenticity? And it's like, it's hard because you can't, you can't be authentic because you know you're supposed to. Like there has to be a realness to that. I'm, I am. I'm not that good of a preacher in a sense. I mean, I don't think I'm a bad <laughs> preacher, but I don't think I'm the best preacher. And uh, and and it's like, is it the cool? I mean, I've I've wrestled with all the things. I'm like, is it the shoes? You know, is it this? You know, and and is it even good? I mean, that's where I get stuck. Is I'm like, is mm. this good that people will come and see a person? And, uh, and, and am I distracting them from Jesus? And this, these are the mm-hmm. things that I woke up last yeah. night at three 30 in the morning thinking about is like, I'm like, I'm like, God, am I getting in the way of you? Mm-hmm. That sounds narcissistic. Sure, certainly I can't, but I don't want to, to, I want the crosshairs to be on faithfulness. And so how do we, 
how do we do this? How do we raise up disciples? How do we teach yeah. people to teach, raise up communicators, and and at the same time make you the hero at at, at every turn, you know, and and play the play the background, the you must become greater, I'm, I must become less kind of thing and not over-spiritualize it. And so I probably, Carrie, you know, would take a, a slightly different take than you or I would over-index more on that first. I'm like, it feels like God's just showing off for a season and in my mm. superstition and, and um, you know, the parts of me that aren't sanctified, uh, I, I just think, man, when is it, when's it going to stop? You mm. know, when, when is the blessing of the Lord just move on and, and, um, and that, I, you know, that those are some scary thoughts. They shouldn't be, but they, they are. Mm. Appreciate that. Bree, um, I mean, you're just barely of the age where you have the agency <laughs> to make your own decisions and you would be a candidate barely. if he was still doing, no, you know, but like super young twenties, the whole deal. And totally. we would definitely like, when you think about your own life, you, you would be the kind of person that if JP was still at the porch would be at the porch. So what is it? in the preaching, in the approach to church that you find refreshing because you're there with a choice, you know, by choice. Yeah. Again, I think it's the, you know, even when you talk about the stable church, you're, you're either growing or declining. Like that's not surprising to me. I think because I feel like young people, you know, specifically friends I'm running alongside or kind of what I, what I saw even in high school and what I'm seeing now, I think, you know, I don't think young people are tempted in the same way that maybe that their parents were to just kind of go through the motions of church and just kind of mm -hmm. show up for the sake of showing up. Like, I think they're either so out on it and they are so out on God and so out on truth or, or they're hungry for God and they actually want him and they actually want to live missionally and live authentically. And so I think the, you know, the teaching that, that JP has let out in and, and, and the way that he has pastored, again, I think has fostered this, like, hey, let's, let's come and die for Jesus. Let's, let's mm. give our lives for the sake of the gospel. Let's, let's actually hold to the authoritative truth of scripture. Let's confess sin and, and, you know, actually be hungry for God. And so, uh, I think again. I think people have been attracted to that because they're they're seeing the the fluff and the the confusion of culture. And I think as as the world kind of spirals out of control and and gets more and more confused, I think young people are desiring clarity. They're desiring authenticity, and and you know hopefully they're finding that in the local church and and finding that you know through the scriptures and and through authentic community. And so I think ultimately that has been. Um, he he has kind of gotten back to the like, hey, let's just let's simply follow Jesus. Let's simply like hold to the scriptures and confess sin and live in community with one another. And I think getting back to those basics have are, are attractive of um, to to young people. Yeah, I find myself in a place of like, what counts? Like, how do we measure success? Because like in the in the you know the 30s and 40s and and even before that in the 20s there's like you you would you everybody seen in the movie the chapel and everybody would go in and there's a gospel choir and there's the people dressed in their Sunday's best and then they would go home and they would have lunch and it was like that was church mm. and so as we talk about the church growing or declining or stabilizing I'm like what are we actually talking about yeah. are we talking about attendance on Sunday or are mm -hmm. we talking about mobilizing Christians yeah. uh, you know what what does success for the church look like and that's this this mysterious thing out there that I don't know that there's a lot of people defining very well mm. is like hey here's the bullseye and and when we talk about our church and the numbers and who's there this is exactly what we're talking about totally. and so it's like is it serving is it membership is it attendance you know what is it 
Well, pastors are still very attracted to attendance. I mean, that's an occupational hazard, I think. And, you know, it'd be interesting. I mean, we want to get to the other trends. So this is why you'll be back on the show, JP, and we will go there and talk about why do you cap out services? Uh, <laughs> what's next? Like another campus? But we'll save that for another day. Um, but I think I think you're right. Now, that whole idea of, Bree, what you said, that your generation isn't going to just conform to the norm. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to be like, well, my parents went to church or they didn't go to church. So I'm just going to go, we'll have a nice lunch and away we go. Uh, And and that will fuel the rapid decline or the rapid growth. And some of that, to be fair, just to put a little tick in this that we can come back to later. You're right. Some of the growth that you're seeing in growing churches is transfer growth, not authentic growth. But right. thank goodness you're on the record like I would be when I was a lead pastor of like, we don't want that. Yeah. Like some of that's Absolutely. inevitable, but like that's just market consolidation yeah. where people from dying churches go to growing churches. And that's not real church growth because the overall number of people following Jesus doesn't go up. It's going down. So what you want to do is you want to reach into the bars and the pubs and the campuses Absolutely. and the homes in Waco. Yeah. And people who don't know Jesus, you want to introduce them to Jesus. So I'm on your side with that. But uh, the thing that the two of you have mentioned four times, I think so far, is confessing sin. Mm -hmm. And I was having a conversation. Do you notice that prayers of confession have almost completely disappeared from contemporary worship? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like nobody, what do we use prayers for? We use prayer to clear the set. Yeah. Just, yeah. just to be cynical about it. And I've called that out in my own leadership. It's like, because I, I have a Reformed background. You guys have Baptist background, or I don't know what your, your background Catholic. is. I was raised Catholic. Be, oh, you were Catholic. Yeah. That's right. That's right. What about yours? Yeah, uh, I was, you know, grew up in a, a more like Baptist, Reformed kind of boat. I feel like, honestly, growing up in Minnesota, the denominations were less of a concern, but. Right, right. Well, you know, Catholic, there are like actual prayers of confession. Sure in the service and my background, mainline Presbyterian, there were prayers of confession. Those have just disappeared. And I'm not talking about putting a ritual in. I'm talking about being clear about it. So what does confessing your sin look like in a growing church? Yeah, so we, um, so I was raised Catholic. So I would, would, it was normal. I went to Catholic school for nine years, was an altar boy. Uh, It was normal to go uh, through the sacrament of reconciliation where I would go into a place, wait in line, confess my sins to a priest. Uh, college was the prodigal years, uh, no relationship with God. And then I would say I actually became a believer. I became a Christian after college. And uh, I get to James five sixteen. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed for the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And then I just, I was at Watermark in Dallas and that that's where I, I would say I became a Christian and ultimately, five years later, came on staff and then um, and then pastored. And so it, it, I was raised under, I, I learned under a really uh, transparent, authentic environment where confession was normal. Yeah. And a, a friend of mine kind of came up with this idea in small groups where he would say, you know, that uh, we do input-output confession or uh, three questions that we would answer is, mm-hmm. how did you feed your soul? How did you feed others? How did you feed your flesh? Yeah. And the how did you feed your flesh? How did you feed your soul is just what are you listening to? What are you reading? How are you growing your relationship? How did you feed others is discipleship and evangelism. But how did you feed your flesh? That is confession. And so it's normal. I mean, I th- this has been my norm for the past 15 years is I'll get in a circle of guys. And so there's four or five of us, same guys, our small group. 
And, you know, one person will, will go and just say, hey, guys, would you know, here's where I missed it this week. I, I, I lost my temper with the referee. I was short with my wife. I, I, I was checked out on my phone with the kids or I clicked on a hashtag on Instagram. I looked at something I shouldn't have. And they confess that. And then the, the next person, whoever's going to beside them would, would pray for them and pray for their healing and pray for their freedom. And then that person would go and they would confess. And then the next person would pray for them. And then they would go and kind of work around the circle that way. And that's, that's our best effort yeah. to live out James 5, 16 and first John one and, and many other scriptures being children of the light. You know, what does it look like for that just to be a normal practice for us in the church? And so the first time Carrie, I said that as, as Brie mentioned a second mm-hmm. ago is like, you know, I'm on stage and I'm talking like, Hey, we're going to confess our sins to each other. And, and I'm, I'm explaining it. And it, and I just remember this moment where it felt like the, those in attendance kind of tilt their head, yeah. you know, like when a dog doesn't <laughs> understand you, I don't mean that to be so like demeaning like, when I say whoa. a dog, but you know, the, Tell everybody understands that mental yeah. picture. They kind of turn their head and they're like, what? It, it felt like I was saying, Hey guys, we're going to fly. Like yeah. we're just going to yeah. flap, we're going to flap our arms and you're going to, you're going to ascend into the air, you know? <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? Hold on. We're going to do what? What are we Catholic? And I was, and I'm just like, this is what the scripture says though. It, it seems like this is really normal. And I think, I mean, it is so transformative, like to what he's saying. I, you know, I had grown up in church my whole life and, and it really, it wasn't until I moved to Dallas and I was at Watermark and was taught like, you know, exactly what he's saying. Uh, It taught what it looks like to weekly, be on a regular rhythm, a consistent rhythm of confessing sin with believers. And it, you know, it comes from, of course, what he talked about in James 5, 16, just this, like, do we believe that there is, you know, scripture tells us there is a, a healing and a transformation that will take place by, by way of, of prayer or by way of confession and prayer with one another. And of course, believing, you know, as you said, in first John 1, 9 is, is what I flipped to that, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there is a, a purity and a cleansing that comes by confessing our sins to the Lord, knowing that he is, he is one that will forgive us and, you know, be faithful to cleanse us. And then also that there is a healing that comes through confessing to others. And it's just, it's so freeing because I think so many you know, so many believers have have grown up in this tradition of church where they just kind of show up and they go through the motions and they put on this this mask of following Jesus. And and meanwhile, they're, you know, they're riddled with sin and, you know, walking in, in the ways of this world and no one knows about it. And so they're they're trying to keep up with this image and and you know, keep up with their church attendance instead of just like living authentically and and confessing when you mess up and allowing the people of God and the Spirit of God to help you walk in freedom and repentance. And so it's a it's a way more you know healing and transformative way to live because it's the way that Jesus calls us to live. That's so cool. You know, if I hear you guys talk, it's a question of there's sort of public confession, which is what you would get in an order of service, a church service. There's private disciplines, like even the the practice of examine, right? If you go back over the ages, right. uh, private confession, but then there's communal yeah. confession. And so what I'm hearing you talk about is communal confession. And yeah, the culture's not doing that. We're doing communal blame. We're doing public mm. blame, but blame and responsibility are opposites. And I think you're right. I think that will be a hallmark of 
the churches that are really making a difference and an impact down the road. Because I don't know, self-righteousness was a problem in the scripture. It's a problem in the church Thanks. today. It's a problem <laughs> in me. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Okay. Uh, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about millennials and then Gen Z. So uh, it looks like the data is saying, again, that millennials surge back to church post-COVID, which can you believe this? This month, that's four years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. That's wild. Why does that feel like it was yesterday <laughs> and it feels like it was 100 <laughs> yeah, years ago at I the same know. time? It really, so yeah, it's wild. COVID time wash. Anyway, uh, but some churches are still recovering. Like if you go out there into... The highways and the byways of North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, I know the Western world, parts of Europe, you're going to find a lot of churches are like, yeah, we're still not quite back, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of churches are declining, some are growing, and the stable church is disappearing. But of those that are growing and those that have seen a surge after COVID, millennials showed up and the boomers bailed. That was the number one church trend last year for me was the boomer church has disappeared. Yeah. And you know, it's dying. And boomers are kind of like, yeah, we've done our time and thank you very much. Now, to be fair to boomers, they're also getting older, right? The oldest is in their six, the oldest is pushing 80 and the youngest is uh, in their low 60s. So, I mean, that's not necessarily past prime, but when you're pushing into your 70s or 80s, <laughs> you know, at that point, it's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. We probably can't build the future on you. So not slamming boomers, but millennials are back. Uh, with a resilience and the oldest millennial turns, I think, 43 this wow. year, which is crazy, depending on how yeah, you date yours, it. So you're not truly. talking about the I was kids. about to say, how old yeah. are you? That's is that, yeah. are you 43? No, I will be. Yeah, this, this year? year. Wow. You will be. So you're like almost Gen X, but yeah. truly a millennial. That's wild. There you go. So yeah, what are you seeing about millennials stepping up? Uh, a lot of people have found that they're Volunteer Corps has shifted to millennials from boomers. They're trying to figure out the giving thing. Like, how does that work? Where are millennials going to give the same way? What are you seeing in millennials who are now firmly in the middle of life being the new core of the church? Yeah, I think when you, you think about church and so much of our opinions are informed by both our experience in movies, Hollywood, uh, you you just, you think about that young couple with the the two you know, babies in tow or three, like just, or, or a small child, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're kind of the church going family. And, uh, and I think so often like that's, that is the, the demographic that the church caters to. And, um, and so that, that is who are millennials today, just as you say, you know, 40, 43 being the top of that. And then it, it goes down, uh, what to, to 23 or depending on however you date it, you're just, you're talking about young twenties and thirties, and uh, and there are older twenties and thirties, uh, I should say, and they're um, you know they're just they're young families, and so I think that's who's who's going to church, or at least who the church historically has reached. But here's what I where I I you know where I always get hung up on on this is you, you're going to hear me say this a lot probably, and I've already said it once is it's just like what counts you know <laughs> as boomers aren't yeah. going like are the, is it. I think that's the question they're asking is they're just realizing like, wait, I don't have to go back to church. Like I can, as you, as you said, Carrie, I can stay on the couch with my, my second cup of coffee and, and it counts. 
Like, why would mm-hmm. I do that? Like, why would I inconvenience myself? Why would yeah. I fight traffic? Why would I risk spilling my Starbucks all over my car yeah. if I can just do this and it counts? And so I think that's going to be the thing that we're going to have to answer in the months and years to come is like, what counts mm-hmm. as church? Yeah. And uh, that's what I don't know that that we have a good answer to today or a firm answer, a firm grip on. Well, it's a difference between driving attendance, which again is easier to measure. And then as you say, I'm trying to recruit an army here. Like I'm trying to get people to do life and and Bree, what you're saying, I, you know, I don't know that the next generation is just into showing up. Uh, what's your take as a Gen Z on millennials and their engagement? Well, in the yeah, I was, I was going to say essentially what, you know, what you just mentioned, like that's where we have to call people to more. Like we have to, you know, and I think, and this is where Gen Z and millennials have probably had a lot of overlap, but I think there has been this sense of like, hey, we want to we want to be a part of something like we want to be a part of of a movement. And, you know, I think for for the church, it's like, how do we invite people into this like this army, this movement of God where they aren't just showing up for attendance, but they are showing up to actually give their lives away and to die to themselves and to actually live missionally. And, and, you know, I, I, in a lot of ways have been like discipled uh, by millennials. Like I think the, you know, the people that have most, uh, you know, outside of my parents, like the people that have most um, formatively discipled me are, are millennials. And I think the, the way that they have faithfully taught me the things of Jesus has been um, again, not this, not this like facade of, of putting on a mask, uh, but just really inviting young people into their lives and inviting them to, to, you know, watch them as they follow Jesus. I think of, you know, first this first Thessalonians two, eight, where Paul just talks about how he, you know, he was so affectionate that he, he sought to share not only the, the gospel, but his very own lives, um, you know, with, with the church and, and I think the people, the millennials that have faithfully discipled me have kind of taken that that view on discipleship of not only do I want to share the gospel with you and the teachings of Jesus with you, but I want to share my my own life with you. And so the women that have, you know, brought me into their car as they're on the way to the grocery store and 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 the women that I've gotten to watch them as they, you know, submit to their husbands and teach their children to love Jesus and and discipline their children and the women who have um, you know, taught me to to not just be, you know, like attending the church and involved in the church, but uh, to to really serve and and not just show up to ask how I can consume, but how can I give my life away? And so I've, you know, there's been faithful uh, millennials that have really taught me to do that, and it, and it's been a gift. So super grateful for that. <laughs> You know, and I appreciate what you are sharing. This is definitely the kind of conversation I hope we have. Just a note to listeners right now, and for you guys, like for a lot, and the reason I've got an outlier church like yours is because this conversation to most, many leaders, not most maybe, but a lot of leaders is going to feel like it's from the future because they're still living under old metrics. We're still in the church living under old assumptions that you can just go have a nice little fellowship hour, go home, call it church. And I think what you're describing even so far half an hour into this conversation is the future church. Like it's gonna be way more like what we have talked about than 
perhaps what we have experienced. Um, and, and I think if you fast forward five years, this is the conversation we're, we'll all be having, which is why I love doing the Church Trends post. Yeah. Totally. And now the Church Pen- Trends podcast every year. So, um, Bree, I'd love for you, because almost everyone listening to this is a little bit older than you, if not significantly, <laughs> right? The Church does skew older. What do you appreciate and what do you need from millennials, Gen Z, boomers, or even the remaining silent generation? Yeah, man, I I think like simply, I think young people, you know, that really want it. I think what they are needing is just they're desiring for their leaders to have a have simply a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Like I think the things that I am praying for when it when I think about the church, when I think about the next generation is really simply that we would have a hunger for God, that we would have a humility uh, and that we would pursue holiness. Like those kind of three H's, like hunger, humility, and holiness are the things that I keep coming back to. I, um, a couple years ago in, um, you know, it was probably in around 2020, I was just asking God, like, hey, what is what is the, the thing that, um, that you want to really mark this next generation or, or really call this next generation to? And the passage of scripture that I feel like the Lord led me to uh, was 2 Kings 22 and 23, where we see see King Josiah uh, upon hearing the word of God read out loud, like the book of the law read out loud. He repents. There's this, this humility upon hearing the word uh, and that leads him to a repentance. And then he, he leads the people of Israel who have been pursuing, you know, all these other idols and all these other false gods. He leads them to uh, really, you know, bring about this revival among the Israelites by just simply restoring the word of God, tearing down the high places, tearing down idols and, and getting back to, you know, he restores the Passover and he gets back to the things that God has commanded them to. And I feel like, um, you know, the thing that I would say God has like really just um, burdened my heart for is uh, in this next generation that we would uh, hear the word of God, that we would uphold scripture to be the thing that is authoritative in a world that is so confused and and just, yeah, headed towards destruction that we would um, cling to the word and, and out of out of a, a hearing of the word that it would lead us to a humility and repentance as we see God as holy, his word as holy, and that that would lead us into uh, pursuing uh, revival and reformation by simply restoring the word of God in this next generation. And so I think, you know, we we see a generation, you know, hear, you hear the statistics of like 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. And that can be really discouraging, right? When we think about a generation that seems to be, um, in a in a large majority seems to want nothing to do with God. But I think what God is going to be faithful to do as he's done in every generation is continue to rise up a a remnant that actually wants him. And I think that's what we're seeing. There There is a remnant, you know, as we see like, you know, JP's gotten to be a part of just like revivals that are happening on college campuses and, and true like movements of the spirit. Uh, there, there is a remnant, a, a small remnant maybe, but there is a remnant uh, that actually wants God. And I think what they, again, what they want in the church and in leaders is is a pure devotion to Jesus Christ that is marked by humility and, and holiness and a hunger for God. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in that because I want to come back to that. I think you just spoke into the Gen Z trend I want to get to. Um, But before we leave millennials entirely, JP, I mean, you had a surge of people come in 
Uh, a lot of churches are still struggling getting volunteers back to the table. Yeah. Uh, a number of rapidly growing churches have solved that. Yeah. What are you noticing about volunteering and giving trends among millennials? Yeah, I mean, I think the the worst thing that the church can do is to lower the ask. And I think it's hurt us um, worldwide. Speaking of the the gathering, the corporate gathering of the, of the church, is we said things to millennials early on. Now, this is you know before they started their families. This is like when they're coming into the church. And we were just like, hey, please hold the door. Or will you just show up for 15 minutes? Or can you just park cars? And when I read the Gospels, I see Jesus saying things like, hey, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. Mm, yeah. uh, I, I see him saying, hey, hey, come and follow me. And somebody's like, well, but hold on, I need to go bury my dad. And he's like, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head follow me. So Jesus had these really large asks of people. What I've seen, and, and you and I've had this conversation before, Carrie, I've seen millennials respond really well to that. Now, it does get complicated when you start a family and a business and, and you've got T-ball on Thursday nights or whatever, you know, lacrosse or whatever it is. Uh, it, you know, life, as life gets hectic, that you, the church has to be uh, very strategic in, in, in how it presents service opportunities when and where, like meaning how you can sign up and what the ask is of people and how they can do it. But I think you're looking to create uh, integration. And I want to say this right here because, you know, we do ministry in a different context than a lot of your listeners. I mean, I'm, I'm in the South, you know, the Bible Belt. And so there's still, there's still some cultural trends yeah. uh, here that somebody's going to hear and, and not really know exactly how to apply it. I think I might change the application ever so slightly if I'm in New York City, man, if I'm in Manhattan, uh, or if I'm in um, Oregon. Uh, I, I'm, I may shift the way that I do that a little bit, but it's still going to come down to, and every generation, whether it's Gen Z or millennials, yeah. boomers, ex, whoever we're talking about, it, it's going to come down to classic discipleship. Like somebody teaching somebody else the Bible so that they can learn the Bible and learn to teach it to somebody else. And whether we, we're talking about technology trends or demographics or whatnot, I'm a simple person and I just try to, I try to read the Bible as though I'm on a deserted island. And I just, all I had to learn about God was this collection of 66 books and I'm reading through it and I'm like, all right, you know, who is he and what does he desire for me? And I say that a lot. And then I, and then the other aspect of me being a simple person is I just think about what is God cheering for and what is he not cheering for? And mm. I think he has always been, Matthew 28, cheering for making disciples. And, uh, and so again, that kind of leads me to this other question that we've been asking is what counts as a disciple? Yeah. So as we think about millennials, we're just, as they come into the church, I think we're saying, hey, how do we make disciples? And an aspect of that, and this answers your question directly, is is giving and serving. If they're not giving, they're not a disciple. If they're not serving with their spiritual gifts, they're not a disciple. I'm not saying they're not a believer. Like, I'm not saying they're not going to be in heaven, but I'm saying that they're not pursuing heaven well, <laughs> you know, yeah. as the scripture calls <laughs> them to. And so if the church is healthy, the church has to 
figure out how to get past that stigma of discussing money and and talking about what does it look like to live an integrated life where my money's not mine, but it belongs to God and I steward it. I'm just a pipe, not a pail, a conduit, not a container. I'm just trying to get God's resources wherever God wants them. I'm, I'm kind of like a financial advisor to him or he's allowed me to play that role where I, where I basically allocate his resources wherever he wants. And we have to teach millennials, Gen Z, whatever the demographic, and so I, I think they are giving. I mean, that you know, just the the fact that we have the lights on is 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 evidence of that. But they're not going to do it automatically. I mean, they have to be led in that way. Yeah, that's so good. I the the thing I would say to that is even just in our own lives, like, and again, this is in a lot of ways, like you know, being pastored by JP, he's he's taught us to live like that. You know, as he's taught the scriptures, and we just kind of came off of a weekend of a you know community group retreat where it's like you know we're spending five hours on Saturday going you know going line by line through you know everyone's budget and and really evaluating like hey how are we giving generously how are we you know spending our money you're doing this in community oh oh yeah you know we we spent five hours just this past saturday you know going through every couple's budget and and you know evaluating you know completely authentically with one another you know what we make and and how we're stewarding our finances and and how we're saving faithfully how we're spending our money you know what are the the non-essential things that we're spending money on what are the essential things that we need to spend money on and and even you know going beyond like hey how do we think about tithing is that just a 10% or how can we actually you know give cheerfully and give abundantly and really pressing in and asking one another like hey it, hey this is this is how much you're giving and uh, how can I lovingly invite you to ask God, like, what could it look like to even give more? And, and we, you know, we kind of had a discussion as a, as a community group where we were like, man, this is, this probably is a really foreign concept to most Christians uh, that we would mm-hmm. even authentically uh, show our finances to one another and press, press in and push back, uh, you know, as it, as it relates to, you know, being generous and those things. And so that feels, that feels like, uh, a really like common thing kind of in in the culture that we exist in here. And that's probably a foreign not, concept, yeah, you know, to oh, others. Oh no, that's not. You know, where where there's a, a freedom to to do that with one another. Your, your listeners are going to be like, oh, and you found the cult in Waco. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yet another one. Yeah. Um, no, but you know what? I had that conversation with John Mark Comer and I can't remember whether that actually made it into the recorded conversation, but he's been on the record as saying, that's a really important discipline. Absolutely. And I challenged our church, and that's actually a goal for me yeah. in 2024. Find another couple that we can track with financially. Totally. Yep. We can share what we're giving, what we're doing. I think transparency is good. Okay, so I want to frame this, and maybe maybe I've got this right or maybe I've got it wrong. What it feels like to me is the old goal and the old model of church was, let's get the next generation to give and serve. And what it sounds like you're saying is, no, 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 that's not the goal. The goal is to disciple them. Yeah. And the byproduct is that these are people who are going to serve mm. and these are people who are going to give. I feel really, Did I hear that absolutely. right? I feel really well understood, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need you to come. Awesome. I need you to show up Sunday morning and say that. Here's what I heard them say. That's absolutely, you call, <laughs> like that, what I'm saying is, is if you read the Bible on a deserted island, like you're going you're gonna to get to that Acts 2, like totally. they had all things in common and you're going to be like, wait, but we don't do that anymore. And 
I'm just saying, why not? Uh Like, what is, like, why, what happened in the church? And so this is what makes these conversations so hard is we may use terms and people are going to, they're going to assume we mean one thing with those terms when in reality is it's not, we're not really coming up with the new way of church. We're really adopting a very, very, very old way of church. We're, we're, I'm trying to go back to acts and I'm saying, what did they do that worked and why did we ever shift? Now that's not to say that we need to be, uh, like, like Amish and, you know, um, resistant to technology. Uh, No, let's use everything that we have available to us to do church Mm -hmm. in the oldest way possible. Mm, That's so good. What's so interesting is, of course, and I think you probably both know this, is that was the dialogue in the mid-70s as the megachurch movement got started. We want to go back to Acts chapter 2. We want to go back to Acts 4. We want to go back to the first century church. And a lot of these things were very in the air in the 70s. It was coming out of the hippie movement, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, that gave birth to the megachurch, which has had its season. And I mean, large churches are still around, and I think they will be indefinitely. But the model that some of this generation is walking away from, right, which is just so interesting. So it'll be fascinating. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that is incredibly attractive. Um, but uh, here's the fun part about doing this interview in advance. I can rewrite the article. So by the time it comes in, I can have that kind of clarity in the article. Super helpful, super helpful. So it's no longer the goal. Discipleship is the goal. And the byproduct is serving and giving. And that totally resonates. It totally resonates. And it's like one of those duh moments because if the highest calling in a church is, wow, you're now a tither and you're also serving 70% of the time. It's It's just the evidence. It's just the symptoms of the the illness, if you will. Totally. Wow. Okay. All right. Bree, I want to start with you. Gen Z church. Yeah. I mean, it was almost a year ago. We saw what happened at Asbury. There's college baptisms happening. I, as as um, a guy who's barely a Gen Xer, <laughs> like you, JP, I'm like the first year of Gen X. That was me. Uh, first year of millennials, right? So what I'm seeing is those are some of the first visible clues of like, hey, when we're running it, it's going to feel and look more like this. Agree, disagree? Like, what do you think Gen Z will, how will Gen Z shape the church? Mm, That's a great question. Yeah, I think, and we've talked about some of these things, but I think, I I think like Gen Z has, um, you know, I think they grew up in this, this model of church that was like, you know, when I was in high school, it was, it was like, hey, you got this text that was like, hey, there's going to be uh, a bouncy house. There's going to be free pizza. There's going to be a cool speaker. And and that was kind of youth group. You, you know? don't want to miss it. Yeah, totally. Over and yeah. over and over again. And and I think like we're just not, we're not impressed with that. We're not concerned with the, with the flashy thing. I think, um, again, we, you know, we see in culture this like, this desire to really give our lives for something. And, and I think, you know, what we're seeing again in this, in this remnant that is rising up is there is, there is a, a a remnant that is rising up among the next generation that actually wants God. And uh, they actually want to pursue Jesus and, and they're watching the way that their, their peers and the way that culture is just uh, leading to, you know, anxiety and depression and, 
and sin and just destruction. And they're they're looking for hope. They're looking for purpose. Uh, they're looking for something to give their lives to. And and you know they're they're finding that in in Jesus. And so um, I'm encouraged. You know, in in a lot of ways, I think it's easy to look at this next generation and and be discouraged largely and and in the same way i'm i'm encouraged by what god is doing among this next generation as he really is rising up a a small group of people that i think really do want god and don't want the flashy thing they they want a simple pursuit of Jesus. And I think the churches that we're seeing thrive, you know, even in here in Waco are really the churches that are just are just inviting young people to the simple things of prayer and God's word and evangelism and uh, and living on mission, having a heart for the nations. And, you know, the college students that, that we're seeing in our ministry that are hungry for God, they just want those simple like Acts 2 things that JP's talking about. They, they're they asking us for more prayer, for more of God's word, for more evangelism. And, and those are the things that they are desiring. And so it's it's encouraging to see what God's doing, that's for sure. So I, I love that. And that very much concurs what I've been seeing in Gen Z and younger millennials for a number of years, less hype, more hope, you know, less show, more Jesus, all that stuff. So here's the dilemma. Um, What you describe and what we've seen over the last little while has been very organic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody planned the revival. (laughs) Totally. I mean, people do plan revivals. It doesn't work out the way Asbury has, but you know, Asbury didn't plan the revival. It just broke out. And it's not like we're planning spontaneous baptisms. It just kind of breaks out. And then we have the organization, like the church is a body, and the word for body in Greek is is corpse, right? Like that's where you get corpse yeah, from, right. where you also get corporation from. Sure. This is interesting. I've taken a, a few hits for talking about organizing churches. People are like, church is a movement. It's not, you know, yeah, but inevitably you're at Harris Creek Baptist Church with a budget and lights and a building and staff and structure. Can you talk about the tension between that kind of organic vibe and the realities of being an organization. You've got to have structure and flexibility. And so you've got the reoccurring, hey, we're here every Sunday, 9, 11, and 4 p.m. Uh, the building's here. It's established. You know where and when. But, I, and I, you know, in different churches, are, some churches are much better at this than us. Uh, some churches are, uh, you know, probably take this too far. I think we, we have to plan um, and be open to the the spontaneous. I mean, we have a, a day for baptisms and you can sign up and we're going to do all of them. Okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm unwilling to do a baptism this Sunday. If someone comes up and they're like, hey, I want to be that, there's water right here. Are you willing? And I'm like, absolutely. We'll figure that out. And, it, you know, assuming it's a healthy situation and we vet it, we're not trying to just capitalize on sensationalism. Um, but, uh, you know, if if every every Sunday I have an outline uh, I'm prepared, you know, I, I've done the work, but if the spirit of God wants to take the conversation a different way, like I'll go out there with a stool and sit down and just say, Hey, here's what I sense that, that God wants me to communicate to you yeah. today. And so there's a, you, you get the trend that I'm talking about. There's just a, like a, we have the structure in place, the, the where and the when, and that's really helpful. Like it's, it's helpful to have a place to meet as totally. an example. It's helpful that people know when we're going to meet. And it's helpful to even have a, an Instagram account so that we can communicate to them an X account. You know, it, it's helpful to be able to send uh, thousands of text messages with the push of a button. Like all of that is helpful. 
Uh, and we, one of our core values as a staff is flexible over frustrated. And so we're, we're trying to build in flexibility, you know, on the, on the Myers-Briggs, I'm high P, I'm a, I'm a seven on Enneagram, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm, I've, I've learned that I need really good accountability, um, in place so that I make sure that I hit all my deadlines every single week. And I'm always trying to look and sense, all right, what is God doing and how do we need to bend that direction? And I, and we're not as well, we don't do it as well as some of my more charismatic friends, if you will, that will make, you know, for make room for spontaneous, uh, you know, prayer in the service or, or whatever that is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the weekend week out. All right. What do we need to flex today? And, and maybe we need to throw like a, an impromptu meeting tonight or a gathering or whatever that is. And I'm always up for it. Totally. And that, and that's where we get to, of course, just be led by the spirit in the way that we do ministry. And I think for young people, like there is this desire for the organic and the spontaneous. I think like I see this, you know, in myself and, and in peers and in our college students, like there's this desire for, you know, the student led, the do it on their own, this, you know, their own independent organic thing that's spontaneous and it's not manufactured and it's, you know, it's the acoustic worship, the stripped down, the, you know, not as, you know, manufactured in that sense. And I think the, you know, even just like the organization of church in general and, you know, as we like call college students to membership and we call them to be shepherded by a body, there's a accountability and a a discipline there that I think is, is helpful, like for young people and, you know, for every faithful follower of Jesus Christ, like there's, you know, being under the, the accountability and the shepherding of a church, um, uh, you know, allows us to discipline, allows us to help each other faithfully follow Jesus. And so I think there's, there, you know, a rub in that tension that is, is good, um, that we get to kind of empower the organic, the spontaneous, and also call young people to accountability and submission to their local church. Another divide that sometimes happens, and I just want to applaud both of your love for discipleship, your desire to be authentic followers of Jesus. Um, but here's a at least a historic divide that I've often seen in the church, not always, but often, that the people who are serious about discipleship really don't do evangelism well, mm. and the people who are serious about evangelism well don't do discipleship well. If you become that kind of sold out, here's my budget, I'm confessing my sins, how do you do that with a heart and an open posture to the 96% of Gen Z that don't have a biblical worldview? Like, how do you bridge that? Because I know you're both in favor of reaching more people. You don't see that as a dichotomy, but the church, capital C, often has run into that divide. Yeah, I think, I mean, in our discipleship and in the way that we live in community with one another, we've got to be, you know, continually uh, calling each other to go and make disciples, like to go and evangelize. And and again, like even in that model of, you know, we, we meet weekly and we confess sin. And part of that is we also share like, hey, here's how I'm sharing my faith. Here's how I'm, how I'm living on mission. And, and so the, in, in the midst of our discipleship, we have got to continue to be calling each other to evangelism and, you know, this entrusting, you know, other faithful men to, to teach others also like, hey, we, we've got to learn the scriptures and then we've got to go and help other people know God's word and know who Jesus is and, and to share the gospel. And so those, you know, I, I agree that there can, you know, be this 
divide between discipleship and evangelism. And there, of course, shouldn't be. Like those things ultimately have got to uh, go hand in hand. And in the way that we are discipling others and, and discipling one another, uh, that has got to lead to furthering the kingdom through the way that we evangelize. And, um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Early on in my uh, faith journey, I read an article or, or it was a uh, early on in my faith journey, I read a blog and it uh, said, had this line carry that, that you'll love is just like, what is the greatest identifier or distinctive of the mature church? And it kind of let that question hang out there. It's like, okay, how would you, you know, what, how would you identify the mature church? And the answer was immaturity. Mm. And they went with this, um, they went with this illustration that anytime you see the giant, you know, sequoias, the mature trees, you, they're going to be surrounded by seedlings. Anytime you see a, 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 you know, an older uh, cow, um, you're going to see calves. Uh, the, 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 the biggest distinctive of maturity in the world is immaturity. And so this really reframes everything in the church is like, if you have the mature church, it's going to have immature people there because mature, mature Christians are going to reach back and invite others in. So I think it's like, as we seek to define the healthy church, I think this gives us a really good picture. And so Harris Creek's uh, mission statement is we want to help everyone follow Jesus by engaging the lost, equipping the saints, and empowering members for service. And so those first two, engaging the lost, yeah. we, we this is this is a value of ours. Like it is, and it's not a uh, aspirational value. This is an actual value. There's an assumption that if you're a member here, you are actively sharing your faith, that you're going to leave this church service, you're going to go out to eat, and you're going to engage the server. And I want that server to say, you're the seventh person. Let yeah. me guess, you go to Harris Creek. Yeah, you guys always want to talk to me about <laughs> Jesus, you know? And and we're looking for those, and we're celebrating those stories. And, uh, you know, the, this sounds really—I'll I'll get criticized for this— but it happened. And so I'll just, I'll own it. But, you know, the first day of staff meeting, when I got here, I just said, hey, we're going to change the world with two questions. Mm. And um, and those two questions are, I got from, you know, Evangelism Explosion, James D. Kennedy is, it was one between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure. If you died today, how certain are you that you would go to heaven? And the second question is, if you stood before God and he said, why should I let you in? What would you say? And so it's just become really commonplace for our church body to be out in the world saying, hey, can I ask you a question? Do you have a faith yeah. between one and 10, 10 being certain? And just to have that conversation over and over and over and over again, because there is no mature disciple. I was with, you know, Jefferson Bethke, and he said, yeah. um, I, I, was, I was visiting him at his, in Maui, and he said, uh, he said, hey, this is a lime tree. It produces limes. And I thought, man, that's really a redundant statement. <laughs> you know, just the <laughs> fact it's a lime, it's a lime tree because it produces limes. And we we say that in Christianity a lot, disciples that make disciples. Like there is no other kind of disciple. Absolutely. There is no disciple that doesn't make disciples, you know, in the same way that there's no lime trees that don't make limes. Like if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. Yeah. At John 15, 8 of like, we we bear fruit proving to be his disciples. Yeah. Like that is exactly mm -hmm. what you're saying. That is sure. the way, you know, as we bear fruit, as we, you know, walk in the ways of the spirit and and exemplify Jesus, like that's how we prove that we are his disciples. And so it's good. I love it. All right. Speaking of discipleship, another trend, discipleship is going digital. So I put that in there because 
uh, it's a bit of a, a corrective trend. Um, first of all, you know, there was a big debate four years ago when all the churches went online. You can't really have church online. I mean, it was there before, but suddenly when everybody was forced to go online, it's like, well, yeah, now it's fine. But then it was everybody back in the building, let's do physical discipleship. And it almost felt like people gave up on the online world. Not everybody, but a lot mm. of people did. And they're like, yeah, and besides discipleship is exactly as you described, meeting together in person, etc. What I have noticed recently though, is the churches making a lot of traction with discipleship are actually doing both. Yeah. They're online and they're in person. Uh, Church Home has an amazing delivery system in its app and have really, really, really accelerated that. You know, John Mark Comer these days, who'll be on the podcast, he's not leading a church. His entire delivery system for arguably some of the best discipleship resources in our generation is digital. And so I'm, I'm, I wanted to include that as a trend to remind people if like, and, and uh, Brie, I'd like to start with you. Um, you know, your generation is both analog in, in terms of loving community, loving to be together, but also supremely digital, mm-hmm. more so than any generation that's ever been around. What are your thoughts on, um, not, I'm not talking about exclusively digital discipleship, but using digital as a means of delivery? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, in a lot of ways, it would, it would probably be foolish to not to not utilize, mm-hmm. uh, you know, social media and the the technology that we do have. You know, I think it, you know, like anything, I feel like you know, social media in a lot of ways is is simply a tool that can be used either for destruction and for evil, or it can be a tool that is is used to advance the kingdom of God. And and as believers, I think you know we've got to faithfully steward this, this tool that we have been given in this day and age, you know, for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. And I think, you know, the, the leaders that are, are faithfully doing that, they have, you know, boundaries around, you know, social media, they have boundaries around technology, but they are seeking to use it as a tool to further the kingdom. And, and of course my generation, Gen Z, like we are on our phones all the time. Uh, you know, we're on TikTok and Instagram and, and all those things, YouTube. And so it would, it wouldn't be wise, I think, in in my opinion, I don't think it'd be wise for the church to not utilize uh, the the tools that that the next generation is already on. Uh, and to what you're saying, I don't think it it could ever replace um, the the real thing of of being uh, being in person, you know, doing life with one another. I think social media is an incredible tool to um, you know to to share resources and to, and even like sermon clips. Like I think I I have been so um, you know I've learned so much just from like the you know the pastors and the teachers that that you know have these these talking points on social media and these graphics that are reshareable and and sermon clips that you can watch and the most formative discipleship that has taken place in my life has been the you know the people of God that have helped me follow Jesus through life on life uh, discipleship teaching me the word as I you know follow them as they follow Jesus and so it, it it's an incredible tool and it cannot be the only thing uh, that we are using for the purpose of discipleship yeah, Carrie, if the trend was um, evangelism has gone digital, I would wholeheartedly agree. Like, I think that's a, you know, anything digital is an amazing use of evangelism. With the, with the trend being discipleship has gone digital, then I go back to the, well, what do you mean by discipleship? Totally. What counts? Right. Because if we take the, 
if we take the disciple who has grown up on a digital diet, um, I'm concerned that they're going to be anemic uh, when compared to the disciple of the 80s, uh, let's say. And so it's just like, what what counts? I'm still trying to figure out. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, how do you strengthen a Christian? And um, and yeah, I love Comer's stuff. You mentioned him. I think that uh, I also love you know what what the Bible Project guys are doing. Uh, I I think that. I hope, you know, I hope we bring in the best technology and AI and, um, and even virtual reality, you know, all the, all the <laughs> things that Meta's working on to really equip people at a seminary level in a concentrated way. So it's like there's, we, we have no excuse that someone uh, can't be a Bible expert in a short amount of time. Uh, in the most engaging, compelling, like you put on some goggles and you're in you're in Jerusalem, you know, and you're walking where Jesus walked, and you're seeing the temple, or you're touring, you know, the the Temple Mount, circa whenever, like ancient times, right? And so, I, we sh- we should be able to do that really soon, and um, in that way, I think it's going to be awesome. I don't know that someone's going to become a, a, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ by watching several reels and TikToks. Yeah, totally. And and here's my concern, and and I want I think I think this will connect. Um, I've been thinking about this. I just read an article, Carrie, about um, about a bias biosphere. They created a biosphere with like the ideal conditions to grow plants mm-hmm. in. And um, so like the perfect amount of sunlight, the perfect soil, perfect fertilization, perfect amount of irrigation, and these plants sprouted up, but the trees fell over Mm. and they were like, they're trying to figure out why. And they're like, oh, because there was no wind. Like like the the wind, they the trees needed wind to strengthen the root their root system so that it could go deep. And Psalm one says, you know, we're we're like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields seed and yields its fruit in and out of seasons. And my concern is what you're seeing is we've we've grown a bunch of anemic Christians that at the first point of ad, uh, the first facing of adversity, uh, the first sign of persecution, uh, the first semblance of can't being canceled that they deconstruct or they fall over uh they they turn and 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 just d- denounce the faith or they they settle into some lukewarm vision uh, version of following Jesus and so like my hope is that we would use technology in the best kind of way to grow strong Christians, but the technology in and of itself is not going to be enough. It's going to have to give me an assignment. So like the technology, it needs to, you know, as an example, just as a metaphor, teach me how to share my faith and then ask me to go do it. Mm. And then somehow even Mm -hmm. report back, hey, here's how I did. Here's what I saw. And then facilitate a conversation. So I don't think the real is going to be enough to get someone there in, in the form of discipleship. But I think that there's going to be some really cool ways we're using uh, technology in the near future to facilitate conversations. And, you know, and we see this, listen, at Harris Creek yesterday, you know, I I just looked, they just, I just had this meeting. And so I know there were 3,500 people here. And I know there were a whole lot more that watched from beginning to end online. Hmm. And the people that are here, you know, this is the other leadership challenge. The people that are here don't really give a rip about those people. And I'm, I'm speaking <laughs> yeah. generally, but they almost are just like, eh, that's kind of like the, 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 
stepchild, if you will, it's a bad example, but <laughs> that they just like, they don't think of and they don't, they don't care for and, and whatnot. And so it's like, uh, we've got to figure out what to do about that and how to lead through that really well and how to celebrate the right things. No, this is really good. And you know what? I think what I'm hearing in both of you is it's a hybrid system, right? You, you in, in real life is the key and then uh, the delivery system can be digital. That was just really interesting because, uh, well, we got three other trends to cover if you're up <laughs> for not quite a lightning round, but uh, this one's this one's going to be fun to see where the comments land. Partisan extremism, remember this is an election year, partisan extremism will continue to fuel short-term growth, but not long-term growth. So what we've seen over the last five, six years, uh, almost decade now, is that there are churches who jump on the partisan agenda. This is how to vote. This is why candidate X is right. Usually it's on the right, not on the left. Progressives try it, just doesn't result in growth. But on the right, you know, and there've been lots of books on this and, and, and podcasts on this, but, you know, our partisanship has almost replaced our our citizenship in heaven. Mm -hmm. It's almost replaced our, our conviction as a Christian. And my argument in the trends is that, yeah, that you're probably going to see more of that this year. But long-term, Brie, you've so articulated what I think the next generation of church will mm. be. Uh, it's going to be like, it's not who wins the White House. It's not who wins the Supreme Court. It's going to be people who are authentic followers of Jesus and people from all camps will be welcome in this church. Anyway, uh, agree or disagree, uh, feel free to tell me I'm missing something. I'm so curious how you're going <laughs> well, to... I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> oh, here we go. Next trend, I next trend, it. next trend. No, I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, sure, there's no secret. The fastest way to grow a church is is to double down on, on a candidate and it, it is also going to create just a ton of work for you. And, um, and so I don't, I don't know that I have anything new to say policies over persons, right? I mean, and it, we, you know, biblical va values have been hijacked by political issues and I'm, I refuse to play that game. It's like, man, I, I'm a Bible teacher. And so I teach what yeah. the scriptures say and where, what the scriptures say play into p political issues. I'm not teaching it because it's a political issue. I'm teaching it because it's a b biblical issue. And if it helps people, uh, you know, know how to vote, then awesome. You know, I think that that's just a, an important aspect of uh, the society that we live in. But, um, but it's, it's not, it's not my first priority, if yeah. you will. It's like my first priority as, as we've now just, you know, uh, completely beat the dead horse. My, my first priority is to make disciples. And so in the same way that giving and serving is a byproduct of discipleship, it's it, the same way with political issues. It's like once you're a disciple and you're following Jesus and you're learning your Bible, well, then that's going to impact what you do when you step into the voting booth. Um, but I'm not. I'm also not there to be like you know, because of the sign of the mature church is immature is immature people, immature Christians. I'm not there to like slap someone's hand because they valued one issue over another, and that's really what's happening. And and furthering the division that you see in the world today is someone has an issue that's ultimate to them, like as an example, pro-life. And, and so if you, 
if you valued something other than pro-life and and you voted towards your value and it was on the opposite side of pro-life, then the pro-life person is like, you're not even a Christian. Mm. I think we have to be charitable to each other. We have to be gracious toward one another as we're all on a on a sanctification journey. We're, we're not where we're going to be. And so what happens if you do that, and I'm guilty of that, I'm, I'm guilty of, of having that attitude at, at different seasons of my own journey, is um, you you don't make space to have you know people that are new t- to the faith at the table, and mm-hmm. so Jesus, I just read in Luke fifteen, you know the the Pharisees and the ta- the I'm sorry the Pharisees and the religious leaders were frustrated because this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. Uh, he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors and eats with them, and so I think a a a great measure of a a Christian leader today, not the only measure, but one of them, one of the factors is, are they attractive? Are they attracted? I'm sorry, are they attractive? Do sinners and tax collectors find them attractive? Mm. Um, and it, and it, listen, sinners and tax collectors find sinners and tax collectors attractive. So that's not the only measure, but it is a measure. Because if, if no sinners and tax collectors find the religious leaders attractive, then I don't know that they are a real disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm, that's good. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. Bree, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. I mean, I mean he's my pastor, so love, love uh, the no, things that he has. No, no, it's so good. I think... He has such a great story. Yeah. We, can, we can tell you stories for hours oh, on this. Oh, gosh. I, I, yeah, I used to be crazy when it came to politics. But uh, no, I think like simply, you know, and we, again, I think you mentioned this, Carrie, but I think, you know, young people, it's like, hey, help us, help us follow Jesus. Like we're, help us mm-hmm. follow the person of Jesus Christ. And and again, as as you teach us to follow Jesus, I do think it is, I do think it's loving you know, to continue to teach God's word, help us help us think about uh, politics, help us think about what it looks like to be a faithful citizen and, and to steward, you know, our role as we vote. Uh, help us think through that in a way that is biblical, in a way that pleases and honors God. And so it's not a, you know, ignore it altogether by any means. It's like, hey, help us love the person of Jesus Christ, help us follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, it is loving, you know, it's loving for you as a leader to help us think through uh, these these things in a way that honors God. And, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16 comes to mind of all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And, you know, we need we do need to, you know, equip, you know, the church, you know, for every good work. We do that by teaching the word of God, by teaching uh, the scriptures, believing them to be the thing that is uh, authoritative and can can help us discern uh, what is good, what is evil, what is right about who God is, what is right about our world today and and to help us, you know, walk in righteousness and and be equipped to, to be faithful citizens. And so, uh, I, yeah, I love what you said of, hey, help us follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, uh, you know, in, in discipleship, it will teach us how to how to think about these things. Okay, two more trends. AI adoption will become normative in growing churches. So I've been following this. AI has been around for a long time, but obviously in 2022, ChatGPT kind of broke the internet and it became a big discussion. And, you know, so many of your legacy programs are now uh, using AI. Uh, You're going to see this more and more. What are your thoughts on AI 
adopting it. Uh, I did a whole series last year with critiques of AI. Like I'm not going in going, this is amazing. I mean, I think it's got real issues. In January, I'm preaching on um, digital relationships and AI relationships. And can they really repeat replace human relationships? My answer is no, they can't. <laughs> They're actually dangerous. Um, so, but, but, you know, AI is here to stay. That ship has sailed. The genie's out of the bottle. What are your thoughts about adoption of AI by churches? Any thoughts? You got it. Uh, I, um, you know, just, yeah, th- concerns. My, my concern is like <laughs> worldwide <laughs> annihilation. I mean, it, annihilation. Know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah the singularity. Like, I mean, I, ev- everything. Uh, bad I, actors. I mean, the, the people who are much smarter than me, that's their concern. And they're putting their money where their mouth is investing billions. And so I think it's a real, I think that's a legit concern. Um, can it replace relationships? You you said it can't. I, I, it will, you know, meaning I, it, it won't in the right way. But I just, just yesterday, I saw a guy who wakes up every morning and has a conversation with AI. And I was un, I was blown. It was, a, it was the first time I had seen this. Uh, I was really blown away with the adaptability and the way that the conversation flowed. And it just gave me a, a glimpse into the future of, of what I think is a loneliness epidemic because of gaming and social media where like our friends aren't really our friends. They're all just digital. That's a half step towards just having a fully digital friend. So it's going to have really um, fascinating implications on community and um, relationships but it, and so it's just that it's a really ambiguous term, Carrie, because I think like how do how do churches adapt it? Like we're using Midjourney as an example, um, where it it seems to have really changed the game in the graphic design space. It's like if I want a graphic, I can I can tell an emotionless computer what graphic to make and I can tell it exactly how to tweak. And so that's going to save, you know, the the graphic designer, senior lead pastor uh, relationship has been contentious for some time. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if he can just talk to, (laughs) if if they can just talk to a, uh, you know, a a robot, if you will, or a computer, you know, that's, that's going to change, that's changed the game overnight right there. Um, you know, is is ChatGBT going to be writing sermons? I mean, it's going to be amazing commentary, totally. like a fascinating commentary. Mm-hmm. And so it'll it'll be another tool like anything else, like Bree said on social media. It's, I think C.S. Lewis said it first, you know, so great is something's capability for good, equally great is its capability for evil. AI is certainly that. Man, it's so it's so interesting. Like, I think I can feel like the the young person that is, is like a boomer who doesn't know much about technology. Mm. But, you know, I look at, you know, friends of mine and it's, or even like my younger brother, he's, he's 19 years old or he's probably 20. And it's like, he, you know, he has his first job, you know, kind of in the real world. He's, and he's, you know, he's putting like email prompts into, you know, chat GPT and, and they're, you know, giving him, you know, these, you know, email like, you know, structures to, you know, to send out as he's, you know, in this new job or, you know, we have my husband and I serve at a, a Christian camp in the summer. And, you know, one of the, one of our uh, leaders who was, who was serving the summer, the way that she found out about our camp is, you know, putting into chat GBT, like, Hey, what's the, you know, best Christian camp to work at. And, and she just clicked the first, per- first, you know, camp that was listed. And so it is, you know, I think when we used to picture, you know, when I was little and we thought about robots taking over the world. We thought that was going to be like at McDonald's, you have a robot that's, you know, serving you your meal. And, and what that's become is this, this crazy world with AI and, and technology. And so 
I think it's it's fascinating to see, you know, the ways that that um, that you know it, it has the opportunity to really change culture. And again, as the church, we've just got to think faithfully through, hey, how can we how can we steward these things to the glory of God and and continue to use uh, technology as a way to make his his name and renown, you know, the desire of our hearts. And um, so it, it's a, it's an opportunity to steward. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're almost at 90 minutes. All right, I have so much more to say on AI, but um, real quick, if there was a, uh, because I think the general response of the church to AI has been a yawn. In other words, there are early adopters like you on mid-journey. We're early adopters with critical eyes on, like I think this could destroy relationships. I think we have existential issues all of that stuff. What would you say to the people who are ignoring it and have their head in the sand? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's the future is here to stay and it's, it's going to grow so, so big and so fast. I mean, so fast. Uh, you, you can't have your head in the sand. There needs to be, if, if you have, um, I know that there's lots of different sized church staffs, but like, let's just say you have a comms department or, or an arts department. You need to have somebody that is growing as an expert in this. And it's e- it's fairly easy to grow as an expert in this because it's new. And so, I mean, yeah. you, you know, if, you, if you're just an early adopter, you're going to be the, the expert in, in a few months. And, um, and then we have a, you, uh, we, our, our graphic designer here, uh, she's the one that she's just, she's reading the articles. She's listening to you, Carrie. She's, she's reading what, uh, she's watching the YouTube videos and she is all in. And I, I love the way she, she's reinvented herself. She's been a graphic designer for, um, you know, 25 years and, um, mm. and she just has reinvented herself in this, in this mid journey space. It's been awesome. Well, that, that means she has job security. Actually, That's right. So the people who adopt early will That's have right. a job. The That's people exactly who ignore right. it are more likely to lose it. Okay. Do you guys have five minutes? hundred percent. Okay, great. New type of mega church pastor will continue to emerge. I've watched this one quietly for a few years. We can think about a whole lot of church founders, legacy pastors who had the spotlight, 10, 15 years ago, who are no longer leading a church, some of whom, honestly, no scandal. They just, you know, the time came and it was time to hand things over. It was fine. But ask people to name their successors. And a lot of people will be like, yeah, I don't know who's leading that church anymore. I don't know. And so what I'm noticing is less top-down, more consensus-based, less interested in platform. I mean, you have a big platform, more interested in local ministry, less concerned about getting their name out there, more about leading well in their context, more focused on building a new future, less focused on bringing down the past, uh, bringing back the past, I should say, and more fixated on health Mm -hmm. than size. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm seeing in the next gen of leaders, many of whom are millennials, a few are Gen X, and soon Gen Z. Are you seeing that as well? And what do you like or not like about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think like friends of mine that are, that are in ministry that I, you know, that I would say are, are faithful, like are the ones that, that aren't concerned with, you know, with growing a following and growing a platform, but are most concerned with how can I 
faithfully follow Jesus and help others follow him faithfully. And, you know, as I, you know, as a young person, I'm looking at leaders to follow. It's like, hey, who's the one? Who's the one with high integrity? Who's the one that that isn't compromising? Who's the one that isn't concerned with, you know, the likes and the follows, but actually just wants Jesus? And so I think, you know, I think what you're seeing is is right. Um, and 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 I think it's because we've, you know, we've been on social media and we've watched people muster up a platform and a following just by simply figuring out the algorithm and figuring out the the retweetable, reshareable things. And it's just not, it's just not attractive anymore. And, and we're watching the way that, you know, leaders who have grown quickly and, and gotten the platform and then have, you know, been been unfaithful and have had moral failures and those things. And I think we're looking at the church and just saying like, gosh, where, where are the, the ones who have integrity, who aren't concerned with, with the, the following and are most concerned uh, with faithfully following Jesus. And so I do, I think you're watching that rise and, and it's, it's hopefully encouraging. This was one, I just thought you nailed it. And it was, um, it was uh, informative to me because I don't think I had those words until I heard some of what you had to say. And um, it, yeah, I, I, Zig Ziglar said, you can have whatever you want, just help everyone else have what they want. And uh, I thought that was a really interesting quote to be remembered by. And, and I feel in a lot of ways for the past five years, I've just tried to disappear. And God has just um, increased notoriety in a lot of ways. And so uh, I was talking to to Craig, Pastor Craig Groeschel about this recently. I mean, I, I teach 25 weeks a year and uh, give away the other 25 uh, or, you know, 26, 27 weeks. And uh, we're just, we're trying to become, we're trying to take the church and use it to raise up communicators and pastors and, and to send them. And that's kind of our planting strategy and listen, if you're kind of Baptist 1.0 and you grew up in a in a church where you knew your pastor and you knew he was going to treat teach, teach 50 Sundays a year, you know that's that's really frustrating for you. But if you have a bigger vision than that, um, and and you you know you're willing to uh, you know sit under team teaching and team leadership, I think it can be a really beautiful thing where it's spread out and. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I think this is, this is the one that are, I mean, all of them were interesting, but this one in particular, I just, I was, I leaned in, I was like, yeah, I definitely think that's, um, that's spot on. I hope it's true. I really do. And, you know, things change. We're not social media babies anymore. We right. know what's involved. We also realize, okay, we had this moment there were all kinds of unintended consequences. Um, but I look forward to a healthier, uh, make up to the next generation of leaders. And um, wow, we could have done another three hours. Yeah, I want to thank have. you both very, very much <laughs> for this. Man. A closing thought or two, and then tell us where people can ha 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 track with you online. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, a closing thought, Carrie, is um, I love the questions that you're asking. And if it, hopefully everyone's hung in with us this long. And I would just say, we got to be experts at asking the right questions. Mm. And, and we have to facilitate places. If, if you're in a position of leadership, 
to where we don't snap at people when they ask a question that we're like, oh, that's obvious and we can't wait to show them how much we know. I mean, we need to slow down in those turns and be like, man, what a great question and answer loudly because lots of other people probably have that same question and just facilitate spaces that allow people to ask good questions because that's that's really a learner's environment. Yeah. And that's what I've 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 learned from you. You you have exemplified that. And I'm, this isn't just a, a flattery session. I I, I mean it. And uh, I, I hope that the Lord multiplies your kind in positions of leadership and across churches because it's if for such a time as this, it's I don't know that it's ever been more important to ask good questions. Yeah. And I'm so encouraged too, just by the way that you are you are inviting young people into the conversation and and really empowering young young leaders. And I really, you know, I think you said this in in the article that that Gen Z, like they don't, they don't just they want a seat at the table, right? Like they want um they want to be in on the conversation and and really this is something JP does so faithfully of hey, we wanna not just do ministry to people, but we want to do ministry through people. And so as we think about the future of the church, we've got to uh, continue to, you know, make disciples. And the way that we do that is is by calling people to more and then calling them uh, to give their lives away for the sake of the gospel and not just preaching to them, but really seeing how can we actually do the work of the ministry through them, uh, help them see their gifts, help them, uh, help them know the scriptures and then entrust ministry to them. And, and I think that's, you know, ultimately how we're going to see uh, the church continue to, to pursue faithfulness. And so it's such a gift to, to have this conversation and I'm super grateful. Well, thank you both very much. I've learned a lot. Um, the article will be a little bit different because we had this conversation before it published. And uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much because it's one thing for a guy in his late 50s to sit around and plot out the future of the church. It's quite another to sit down with someone in their 40s and early 20s, have a conversation about it, uh, have some of the ideas tested, validated. I've shared this with friends too before publishing. So it's a real joy. And I'm like you, I have a lot of hope for the future church. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of problems, a lot of hope. And I hope for all the leaders listening that, you know, the purpose of an episode like this is, hey, five years ahead, this will all be mainstream. We're just trying to jump on it yeah. early. Yeah. So uh, places to track with you guys online, where would they find you? Just go to the easiest place, jonathanpacluda.com, at jpacluda on Instagram, but it's all there at jonathanpacluda.com. Yeah, my website is gabriellemccullough.com and Instagram is hello, it's Brie. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a killer website too, Brie. You really it. do. It's great. That's awesome. You do a great job. I want to thank you both no. so, so much. Thank you, Carrie. So grateful. Well, I hope you enjoyed that deep dive into my church trends. And I'm not the only one who has thoughts on this. So I sat down with David Kinneman to do episode two, and we're not doing these trends again. I'm going to say, what do you see on the horizon? Then we're going to do it with Brady Shear. Then we're going to do it with Ryan Burge. Then we're going to do it with John Mark Comer. I'm very excited about this January. If you enjoyed this episode, here's what I'd love for you to do. Would you share it with a friend? Just text them the link. And if you would be so kind, leave a rating and review. January is a big month where a lot of people have new habits. We'd love to gain some even more new listeners. Many of you join us every single month. You know, 51% of the people who listened to this podcast last year listened for the first time. We are having an incredible season on this podcast. Would love to help you share the love. And if you enjoyed it, we would be so grateful for that.
Now, uh, we want you to check out our partners. We choose them very carefully. We vouch for them. And that goes for Belay and Generis. So Belay has a Delegate to Elevate book available to you for free. It's their ebook. Simply text CARRY to 55123 for your free copy. That's C-A-R-E-Y to 55123. And Generis knows your church has to approach donors differently, and they want to help. They've developed free tools and resources to help you identify the different stages of giving and the different kinds of givers in your church. Visit Generis.com slash carry. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S dot com slash carry to learn more. Well, as promised, next episode, David Kinneman, we sat down at an event we were at together in Dallas, and we talked about the openness of America's to spirituality, why 25% of people are still deconstructing, and why women might play a more important role in ministry than you think. Here's an excerpt. We looked at moms, uh, mothers who have children 18, 18 or under. Mm-hmm. Do you know what they said was their most, we'll start with what the, what they like least about their church. Is no that idea. It, it, is that it doesn't support their emotional and mental health. Wow. That was number one criticism. What do you think they liked most about churches? And it was 63%, not even close to the second highest rated thing, which was like 32%. Yeah, again, I'm clueless. Small groups. Really? Moms love community. It's coming up next time. Also, like I said, Ryan Burge, Brady Shear, John Mark Comer, John Ortberg, Todd Bolsinger, Adam Hamilton, Craig Grishel. Jamie Kern Lima, and a whole lot more coming up on the podcast. This is going to be an epic year. We always do our best to bring you the very best guests we can find, the very best conversations. We take your time very seriously, but this is a deep dive podcast, long form conversations, the kind that hopefully you would have if you sat down with Craig Grishel or Jamie Kern Lima or JP Pacluda or Gabriel McCullough. So you can access the detailed 2024 Church Trends post in the free team guide at the link in the description. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, let me know what you think of this episode. Really appreciate each of you. We're with you in your corner for 2024. Thanks so much for your partnership. And I hope today's episode helped you identify and break a growth barrier that you and your church are facing.